Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Why do you want to dance? Why do you want to live? I don't know exactly why, but... Uh... That's my answer, too. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This week, we have a pick from Christina in Texas. This is a listener pick. The Red Shoes, directed by... Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Who teamed up on a couple, who yeah. teamed up on a couple of great movies. Um, this is this falls into the categories of movies that I know are great by reputation, but I had never seen before. And oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know how I went 32 years without seeing this movie. I, I studied film in university, obviously do a podcast about it in my spare time. How did I live without seeing this movie? So that's my thing on part one. We always talk about our overall takes on the film. And just so you know, before we start talking, if you're new to the show, we assume that our listeners generally have seen the movie before. So it's weird to give spoiler alerts from a movie from 1948, but we're going to do it here anyway, because, you know, that's kind of the spirit with which we discuss them. So if you have not yet seen The Red Shoes, hit pause, go watch The Red Shoes and come back. Right. So in part one, we talk about our overall things. And since this is a a, a Christina pick, um, I'm going to go first. I feel exactly the same way as Mike does. I cannot believe I went this long without seeing this film. And we hope that all of our listeners aren't rolling their eyes at us and saying, how could you have never seen The Red Shoes? It's one of those movies I always knew about, but it was always on my watch list, but I never got around to seeing it. And I am so, so grateful that I was given this recommendation because even 20 minutes into it, I'm like, I can't believe how great this is. And it keeps getting exponentially better as it goes on. This movie lets you know exactly what it is and what's going on from the first moment there's the a little mise-en-scene there's like a, a beautiful technicolor thing that you encounter when the movie's on and that tells you exactly what universe you're in but uh, apart from spoilers this movie's just even i like this is such a cliche phrase that i don't even like it coming out of my mouth but this movie is a visual feast it really I is i don't i honestly don't know who handled the camera or who shot this movie but they are a genius up until now, my favorite Technicolor movie is The Adventures of Robin Hood with Joe Flynn. Yeah. This makes The Adventures of 
uh, Robin Hood with Errol Flynn looked like a, a, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. It makes it look cannot, like Steamboat Willie or something. I cannot believe how beautifully painted this movie is. I said to my wife as I watched it with her, I said, how many, how many green push carts with yellow or red wheels are going to go by in the background? I mean, it was, it was one beautiful thing after another. I mean, how about when she's walking up the weed-covered steps and she hears the opera when she first goes into this palace? I mean, every single shot of it is beautiful. And it reminded me – it's so funny. It reminded me of Robin Hood. It reminded me of like the way Singing in the Rain looks or The Wizard of Oz when she gets to Oz. Oz. Um, but I also love it so much, if I can change direction a little bit, I love overall how it invites you into the artistic process. So it reminded me a lot of – the plot reminded me of A Star is Born. But the, the, the overall feel reminded me of Topsy Turvy, the great Mike Lee movie about Gilbert and Sullivan, if you've ever seen that. Like you are, from, you are with these people from step to step. You're, in, you're invited in. And I, and I just love how – we'll talk about the, the big set piece in the middle. But I love how you're invited in to the whole creative process as a viewer. One thing I like is that set piece, even before we talk about it, though, structurally, because there's so many times that certain movies get made with a a behind the scenes kind of take. You could think of something um, like Kiss Me, Kate, or or something where all the action is is behind the scenes broadcast news. But it's exactly but it's not really focused uh, or the there's a donate or a given, which is they do this thing. And now we, we, we want to talk about our focus on what goes on behind that thing. And I think the Red Shoes could have very easily fallen into that trap about just being about the people who make the show and not the show. But boy, did they avoid that trap. Absolutely. And they do it, I think. Let, let's move into it a little more. Let's talk about, in the first part, about Lermontov, who I, who, Mr. Lermontov, who I think is unbelievably great. And, and watching him work reminded me very very much of another movie that we have not done but which we should it reminded me so much of whiplash didn't he remind you of the jk simmons character whiplash right fletcher the drum teacher so i love how in the film he has this talent for sniffing out greatness and he sees vicky's dance in that place where they're just playing the phonograph record she's even getting orchestra and she's spinning around that great great series of shots and um I love how he, he assumes, just like Fletcher does a whiplash, that if you have talent, you are a fool not to devote your life to it. And you have to forsake every other part of human life and every part of other enjoyable part of human experience in sacrifice for your talent. Like he thinks it's like a vocation, right? Like if you're a priest or a nun, you don't get married, right? You're married to your vocation. And that's why he, he rolls his eyes when Irina gets engaged and he, he won't talk to her anymore. And I think that he is somebody in a, in this film that takes art very, very seriously. As seriously as, you know, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger do, and you're invited in to, like, see the world through that that seriousness. Yeah, he calls it, like, the unreliable joy of, of romantic love or some or some yeah. such phrase, um, which is it's not only that it's not only that it's a higher kind of love or enjoyment to devote yourself to art, but but concepts are always there for you, whereas people are not. Yeah. Well, the red shoes live forever. People die. And I love when he first throws, tells her the story about the red shoes and Vicky says, well, what happens to the girl? He goes, oh, she dies. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, it's the red shoes are important. Like he wants somebody to wear the red shoes. And I, and I, it, it made me think about the artistic process and also the process of coaches and athletes, right? Like people that can spot talent who maybe can't do the thing themselves. Right. But who can spot it and do something with it. Right. So for example, like I thought of like how like, um, Mr. Lermontov is he's kind of like Scorsese and Vicky's like his Robert De Niro. Like Scorsese can't play Travis or Rupert or, you know, but he, but he, he found the guy to be Jake LaMotta and he's going to be the guy. And now I guess it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and, and 
you know, he says to um, um, Lermontov says to Vicky at one point, I will do all the talking and you will do all the dancing. Like he knows his role. And also I'm going to bring this up um, because I know you're a big basketball fan. Um, a couple of days ago, we were talking about Phil Jackson, right? Yeah. Somebody who's who, like, so he's like him, right? You can spot talent and do things with it. The The interesting thing about that concept is that the person who is doing the doing is in service to the person who is not doing the doing, <laughs> yes. right? What, what do we typically refer to them as? Their muse, right? Yeah. She, Vicky is not just the great performer. She's Lermer, Lermontov's muse. And she's also her husband's muse, right? When he when they're lying in their separate um, Lucy and Ricky beds, right? <laughs> all he's hearing is he's hearing this the woman's music. voice off off in the distance, and he needs to to tinkle the piano keys until he until they make the same sound because that's all he can hear when he's around her. But it's also again going back to Whiplash. It's also that they are the directors are also very very. Um, powerful and very cruel at times because they, they recognize greatness, right? So I love the part where she, he invites her to lunch and it's only so she can listen to the music. And he's like, you're going to listen to the music all the time when you're eating. Before you go on, you have to be, you have to be steeped in this music. You can't stop. And it's like kind of like a whiplash when JK Simmons puts the kid playing the drums through the ringer because at the end he says, he says, you know what? At least I tried. Like I saw that you could have been the next buddy rich and at least I tried to get it out of you. And I'm sorry if I wasn't, if I wasn't, you know, Oh, you're next time. He says the worst thing you could say to somebody is nice job. You know, I saw greatness in you. And that's what that's what tough coaches and tough directors are like. Well, it's like an ore, right? And <laughs> and what they want to do is is purify it from everything around yeah. it. But everything around it is like uh, your need to eat and sleep and feel validated. Right. And 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 feel loved. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, we can talk about the, the performance or our moments in, in part two that. uh what again the trap that this movie does not fall into is allowing you to feel that Lermontov is 100% a villain for doing that no he's not because when you see the show you are just as carried away as as everything else and so you not only get the process you get the payoff let's talk about that in part 2 okay welcome back so in part 2 we talk about big key moments of the film that point back to its themes as a whole. Dan, I know you wanted to talk specifically about the performance, the, the, the big set piece in the middle. Yeah, we have to talk about that. So here's my take on this. If you're going to have an hour-long lead-in to a ballet or to anything, to a robbery, to a sporting event, to anything in a movie, a heist, if you're going to have an hour-long lead into it, that thing better pay off. We've all seen movies where the where the the mystery is far better than the solution. We're getting there is far more fun than finding out who the killer was, right? So if you're going to have that, it better pay off. And oh my gosh, does it ever pay off in this? Because before that scene, one thing I love is I love, do you remember the part where the person is vacuuming the theater? Yes. And here's why I love that. Because up until we actually see the, the ballet, the red shoes, every time we hear part of it or we see part of it, the real world is always intruding. So you'll see them like rehearsing it, but then like somebody's walking by in the background or they're talking about like, you know, the sets and you know, they're trying to get the door closed. And there's that scene where she's arguing with um her soon to be husband about the tempo of this thing. And the, the woman's vacuuming and the vacuum theater is intruding. When we finally get to the ballet, then the real world is gone. The camera's full on the whole, the front of the, the stage takes up your full TV screen. 
And I'm so glad I watched this on a big TV. And then we get the premiere and then something unbelievable happens. And before you said you hate saying like it's a visual feast because it's so corny. Here's my corny thing of how magical this is. So the ballet starts and side note, you could fill the Library of Congress with what I don't know about ballet. Okay. So um, the ballet starts. We're following the story of the Red Shoes. We've already told about what it's like and what the Red Shoes do to her. Um, we get drawn into it. And it's like a filmed play. Like you're the camera's showing what's going on. But then we start to notice when she's dancing through the carnival section, right? Which kind of looks like the set of Dumbo or something. Like we, we think to ourselves, okay, well, this is physically impossible where she's going. Like this all can't be on the stage. And then as it goes on, the ballet gets more and more expressionistic and more and more surreal till you realize, oh, Craster says earlier, my music will transform you. And you get, you get to in this space of what she's seeing and what she's imagining. So then she imagines like, you know, that the, you know, the, the guy still under the shoes is really Lermontov. And, and, um, you know, you get to see her be a cloud or, or a bird or something like that. And I think what's fascinating about that is like anybody at the height of their art, like Vicky, it would be impossible for that person to describe what it's like to do it. Right. So to get. Nureyev or um, to, to describe dancing to us would be very difficult, right? To get Michael Jordan to explain what it's like to play basketball would be, would be very hard. They, what, what, he couldn't convey it to us unless we were able to do it, right? So the closest you can do is you can approximate it visually. And I think that's where the film tries to say, this is what it's like to be Vicky. And I think you get close to it. And I think that's like an unbelievably great thing that happens in this film. Yes. However, Here's one thing, which is there. there's a very good reason why movies that are about things often do not include the magical things that they are about, because almost nobody can do them. Yeah, because nobody can do you, them. You and I could write a movie about a famous singer, right? And and like as the modern remake, right, of a star, the classic right. Star is Born is Judy Garland. Real Star is Born uh, is, is Lady Gaga. <laughs> Both of them can sing, obviously. Can sing. But... Lady Gaga's performance in A Star is Born looks like it happened on Star Search versus the dance that happens in the middle of this movie. Like, I agree with you on the use of the visual effects, but oh, my sweet God, can this lady dance? And not only yeah. can she dance, the entire ensemble can dance. Like, there, there's a there's a scene. I, I understand that I was carried away by her solo, but there's a scene when everybody else is dancing in formation towards her when they're all in the in yep. the morning. It's so weird, but it's so beautifully in sync. Like that actually is poetry in motion. And there's no way to talk about it without being cliche unless you watch it, sink into the movie, get into the buildup and then yeah. experience it for yourself. It just sounds like we're being silly, but it's 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 unbelievably brilliant. Yeah, no, you said button, however, as if but I, I, don't, I don't think you're contradicting me at all because I agree with you. everyone in the movie is great. I mean, the, you, that's what I meant is that you can't if you're going to talk about a ballet for an hour, you better make it pay off. Right. And, and, and not only does it pay off with Vicky, but everybody does like when she's dancing with the newspaper and the newspaper becomes a person. And um, even the scenes when I'm going to stretch this, even in the scenes where there's no dancing going on. The movie's like a ballet, like just the set pieces of conversations in rooms where they're going in out of his office and people are coming in. You leave, you come, the butler's coming. Like the whole movie is choreographed so beautifully. And I think that, um, that the movie makes you understand what it's like to be Vicky. And we'll say this for the ending, but why Vicky has such a hard time at the end saying no and going back because she, she, she reaches this level of artistic performance and of rapture. It's very, very hard to go back from that. It's very hard to, to, to it's very hard to, to, to win the masters and then go be the golf pro at the local place, you know, down the road. Well, I'll add to that 
with uh, what her husband Craster experiences because it's very easy. We all know movies. We named a lot of movies where one person is talented. This movie uh, doubles or triples the fun, which is that there's two or three people that are totally artistically obsessed. And we also get not just their objective performances, but their subjective experience of what it's like to be them, which again is like when Craster's lying down and he hears the music um, off in the background, but he doesn't, Obviously, he doesn't literally hear in his voice a woman singing an aria, but the the ethereal aria that we hear that's evoked out of nowhere. And you, for a second, you go, "Oh, is that supposed to be real? Is somebody singing the next right?" Week? Right. And that that gives you the the impression of what it's like when something comes calling, and the, and in this case, it literally comes calling, and they don't actually exchange any words. Right. She sits down with him at the piano. She starts to play with his other hand and then she figures, okay, I guess I'll just sleep at the piano because he's not coming back. And so there's a perfect harmony and understanding between them, which is not just um, the vocation, the calling, but for the audience to hear it too. And it doesn't necessarily take away from the, from the drama of the soloist, right? That like Lermontov is the greatest of all time. Her, her husband is a great up and comer. She is the star of the movie. And there's just there's a weight of all their three talents that are it feels like it's it's sinking the movie. Yes. More than once when I was watching it, I thought to myself, a great question to ask is whose story is this? Whose movie is this? Because it's all of them and they're all sympathetic and they're all interesting and they're all very, very good at what they do. That's why I think what you said about Craster, that's why I think the opening bit about his professor stealing his music. Is that how it shows you how seriously he takes? Like he leaves. Remember in the beginning, he leaves, and then he, and then of course he's asked to do the same thing with the, with the ballet of the red shoes. Well, just a weird uh, thing on on top of everything else is how good this movie is at exposition. Like it doesn't actually connect to to anything right. that we've said, but it, every single scene is so unbelievably smooth. Like you wouldn't necessarily think of the red shoes as a David Mamet approved screenplay, but one hundred percent it is. Do you remember when his yes. lawyer comes in? And he's you've got the smashed mirror, you've got the drink, and he says, you haven't changed your mind again, have you? There's just it's every expositional trick in the book is used in order to speed through time. Right. He gets back with Irina, but he's only um, objectively. He must have been with her for a few months. Subjectively to us, he gets back with her for about 30 seconds and then he's already (laughs) bored again because that's what it's like to redo something that you're already bored with. Right. All right. Let's talk about the ending in part three. All right, welcome back. So somehow we have to talk about the ending or the title or the big themes and takeaways of this uh, monster of a movie. I hate to st- I hate to uh, rush forward, but we have to try to keep to our 15 minute uh, time limit, which we almost never do. But we're not going to we'll, make, yeah. make it on this one. We're not going to make it on this one, but we'll try. So I, the great, great scene at the end where my hand was over my mouth is right before she dies, right before the suicide, where she's torn. She's she's literally between her husband, right. And Lermontov, between Craster and Lermontov. And she's like, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I love what her husband says. Her husband says, just leave. You could still dance. Like, you could still dance. You could dance your whole life, right? And she can. But of course, the catch is she can't dance for him. She can't dance and do the dance that we saw in the middle of the film. She can't dance for Lermontov. She she can't reach that height again. Yeah, you could go dance at the community theater on, on Saturday and Sunday matinee. Sure. And And – I think that it's interesting because her husband has a point. You don't have to sacrifice everything. Remember what he says the happiest moment of his life was? 
It's when it's when they're in the carriage and they're by, and, and the, the the driver's falling asleep and she and she's kind of like making believe she's sleeping in his arms and he says someday when I'm old they'll say what was your favorite your happiest moment he says it's when I was with lying with you in this carriage next to the Mediterranean right he thinks it's valuable and of course it is right Lermontov says my job is to take make great things out of little things to make great art. To make a great ballet out of a little thing like a fairy tale, but also to make great art out of little things like human experiences, right? You know, uh, Horace, Ars Longa, you know, art lasts forever. But Krasner thinks the opposite. Like, he's like, yeah, art is great. Like, music is great. I love it. I'm real serious about it. But that's only one part of human experience. Like, being married is great, too. Falling in love is great, too. Or, or the one leads into the other. So right. I think that I think that the central tension here, like, I, I, I don't want to get too into it, but the, I think the central tension is that craster writes with his intellect and so what he's able to do is take things from his experience right his experience of loving her or the way she makes him feel leads him to write a great opera sure and in fact he tells lermontov this isn't the best form of music you know like writing i write scores for ballets because you pay me to write scores for ballets but th but the the logical conclusion of the thing that i'm good at would be a thing that's all music all the time and the the performances are vocal performances but that's not so with an art that's in the body and i think that the the, the key is that lermontov can't stand for them to be in love and do any kind of art so i i take him at his word that lermontov means it but i don't necessarily take it as a given absolute that you can't have both well lermontov thinks you can't have both he 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 the viewer might not think so you and i might not think so i mean i don't but lermontov thinks that's why he rolls his eyes at irene i agree which, i agree but yeah. i i think i think that he he made a lot of personal sacrifices to make whatever it is that he's yeah. doing work while he's you know young and and young enough to run the the theater or whatever um and people seem to come in, come out of his life, right? Like I, the implication is Irina came into his life as a young dancer, just right. like she did. And then he used her up for whatever amount of time. And then she, you know, she, she passed out just like there's, there's a difference between the intellectual pursuits and the athleticism that it takes to do a pure, beautiful physical performance. And that comes in again when he says, why don't you just have a house full of fat, bawling children? Right. And that, you, that there's only no Vicky can there. do that, though. Only Vicky can do that because she's, the, she's the, the nexus between them, right? I mean, the movie is about sacrifice. And Lermontov has sacrificed a lot in his life. He sacrificed plenty. And I think we've, like, the world is full, history is full of great artists who have tried to have it both ways who couldn't, right? I just read um, James Kaplan's two um, two volume monumental cinder block, um, biography of Sinatra. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. Watch this. Sinatra wanted to have it both ways. He wanted to be an unbelievably great artist, the greatest singer of the 20th century, which he was, but he also wanted to have kids and a family. That, that's why he had, he got married four times and he hated being alone. Like he couldn't reconcile those two things in his life. Some people can, but I think it's interesting that that's why so often we hear about artists and really creative top tier people who have these miserable personal lives because they, they, they you have to sacrifice so much if you're going to get to that level. You don't have to – you could still have a lot of fun. You could still – but to, to, to get to the level that Lermontov thinks you should be at if you're serious about it as a vocation, you have to give things up. I agree, I agree with that. But what, what I'm saying is I don't necessarily know that the, that the film requires you to read the situation exactly as Lermontov reads it i think that one of the reasons for having no, craster, you read it as craster reads it too 
right for having craster in the movie yeah. is that i'm so in love that i'm literally hearing voices yeah that's and, great and that's right and that's that's it's a different reading of the same kind of situation a hundred percent i think but but i think but you, i think one of us mentioned this before is that that's why craster and lermontov they're such great characters because they're they both have a point that's that's right uh Lermont, lermontov perfectly i forget who said it but they said that the um the scariest movies are the ones in which the villains make the most sense and so <laughs> yeah. Ler, lermont lermontov is almost literally the devil uh, in, in his red, in his, in his red robe in that one in scene, the, with, in, in, and his his crazy sunglasses, so yeah. you can't see his eyes. Um, right, he looks blind to the world. What are those specific sunglasses supposed to do? He he looks blind. They're supposed light. to keep the light out. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So I, I what's your get, take on the ending? Well, I think that Vicky is unable to reconcile the tension that we're talking about in a meaningful way because she doesn't just want to dance she wants to be in the show and it's not necessarily it's not necessarily dance that won't wait for her it's the show that won't wait for her um like right the red the red if the red shoes if you think about it the movie tells you the following which is that it was the parts written for her the part is literal the music is literally written for her the shoes are picked out for her so you it's not like she's starring in Swan Lake, although she does dance Swan Lake, Swan Lake. right? The the point is that um, Swan Lake is supposed to be the pinnacle of the of the prima ballerina's performance, but it's not as though Swan Lake were written for you, and that's what the red shoes is, and so that's why that that unbearable tension. That's why she's driven to die. Although I will say that I think the redemption from that reading is that the last thing she says to Craster is to take the red shoes off of me and that's that's i think one a gesture towards the fact that her body's dying but the red shoes will endure but also because the only way for her to reconcile that tension is when her body's broken she can finally she can finally see it the other way and that is a great note on which to end this conversation although i hate to end it about the red shoes thanks for listening everybody we hope you've enjoyed our conversation about the red shoes Remember to follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. And also, you can now follow us on Letterboxd. Letterboxd at 15MINFilm. Um, we're having a lot of fun. We have a lot of followers already on Letterboxd. So please check us out there. You can find all of our old episodes on Letterboxd. Every episode, every um, review has a link on it. We'll take you right to our website. Let us know what we should see. We got three requests just today. We're again grateful to Christina from Texas for this pick. Keep the picks coming and keep watching movies. Thanks. See you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.